0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Fiduciary Investors series. My name is Amanda White. I'm editor of top1000funds.com and director of institutional content at Connexus Financial. I'm joined today by Nick Shamey, who is the Chief Strategist and Senior Managing Director of Total Portfolio and Capital Markets at INCO. The Investment Management Corporation of Ontario manages $79 billion of assets on behalf of its clients in Ontario, Canada. Nick leads several of the top of the house functions, including investment research and economics, portfolio construction and strategic asset allocation, total portfolio management, fixed income and currency portfolio management, and centralised trading. And welcome Nick it's good to speak with you.
1: It's a real pleasure to be with you today.
0: We're going to talk today about the investment environment and broadly speaking what I would describe as the end of certainty. The end of certainty around the assumptions that investors have made over the past decade, what is driving economies and markets and what investors can and should be doing about the increased volatility and uncertainty. In January Imco put out a document called Imco World View, investing to capitalize on the long-term trends shaping our future. In that, you look at uh, inequality and how there's been a shift in politicians prioritising policies that address it, the rise in climate change concern and how ESG is ushering in a new era of investing, the heightened global tensions and impact of deglobalisation, and policy inflection and why central banks may soon provide less support to markets. So, Nick, I'm interested to begin the conversation in how you came to focus on those particular drivers of the economy and how you incorporate those into your outlook at IMCO.
1: Okay. So our our clients have long-term liabilities. And as a result, pension funds, insurance funds that we invest on behalf of require a long-term approach to investing that matches up well against their liabilities. And in that regard, we decided a long time ago that we really wanted to hitch our ride to durable, long-term trends and themes that were going to have a long shelf life, and that a research-driven process was ultimately going to help us arrive at the right answers for our portfolio construction, asset mix, and investment strategies. So in that regard, we we really tried to ask ourselves of the long-term trends that have been entrenched for a long time, what's changing and where are the investing implications for large institutional investors such as ourselves. And what we settled on was that number one, on the question of whether things are changing in those long-term investment trends and themes, the answer was yes, that they were changing in 2020 and and 2021. It was becoming very obvious that the world was changing dramatically and some things were changing on a more structural or, or permanent basis. And so the the facets that we decided to focus on were those that, again, that seemed most relevant to, to long-term institutional investors like ourselves. One of the overarching themes that we found ourselves coming back to repeatedly was a what seemed to be a move away from the tenants of the uh, what a lot of people have come to know as the Reagan Thatcher uh, policy view, where governments were engineering a move towards more competition, towards smaller governments, towards lower barriers to international trade, and and an overall, uh, Pension for, for lower taxes. And this has been in train now for 40 years, since the early 1980s. And that coincided, of course, along with a long-term decline in inflation and interest rates. And what we saw uh, beginning in the late 2010s and then Uh, sort of deepening and accelerating uh, as we came through COVID in 2020 was a true reversal in in many of those uh, trends. And uh, so we started to focus on income inequality as a important driver for for changes in policy and the focus of governments. Uh, We we became, Aware of the fact that deglobalization, in its various forms, was starting to become more entrenched, and that there was a real policy inflection across a variety of fronts, um, as well, ESG and climate change became much more important. Uh, We also decided that uh, the trend of disruptive technologies was was also becoming ever more important as well. We, In having a research-driven approach, it allowed us to have a, a structured framework that focused on the right things. And in particular, those that were uh, primarily geared towards the long-term investment trends.
0: So, we'll come in a minute to sort of how you incorporate that into decision-making. I think a lot of our uh, listeners and and readers will be interested in, um, you know, how that translates into your organisation and how everybody can be engaged in um, implementing those ideas. Um, But first of all, let's sort of stay with, with markets. And, you know, one of the results of these tensions and something many investors have been talking about is rising inflation. And in the paper, you say that's going to be around for the next decade. So what is your outlook? Um, It seems there's as many opinions on inflation as people that you ask. Um, And and so what's your outlook and how are you allocating because of that?
1: Yes. So, again, I think we'll pin it on the reversal of those almost four-decade-long trends. Uh, What... Most people, I think, would attribute to the decline in inflation since the early 1980s through to the late 2010s. Most people would have said, well, we had a deepening globalization of the the global economy. That was a major driver of lower inflation and thereby lower interest rates. Um, Smaller role for government and, and lower deficits. Um singularly focused central banks on um uh, at uh, achieving their in two percent inflation targets for the for the most part. Uh those for us were clear drivers of the decline in inflation, and we've been witnessing a reversal in many of those trends. Uh, Instead of being focused on the lowest cost producer in the world, instead, companies and governments are now prioritizing the most secure or the closest or the friendliest source of um, supply chain needs or resources, uh, critical uh, or strategic goods and and resources, this reprioritization uh, we believe is going to sort of ensure that inflation doesn't return durably back to the kinds of lows that we experienced in the last decade where inflation was stubbornly stuck around 1% inflation. Instead, we see inflation being Um, meaningfully elevated compared to that. Um, We believe that the increasing prioritization by by governments of more geopolitical or strategic objectives um, instigated in part by by a more tense geopolitical environment and a desire to secure, uh, certainly uh, through COVID, Drove a much more intense desire to to have more secure uh, sourcing of of goods and and resources and and strategic technologies, and so through the the reprioritization of companies, of, of governments, and of people themselves, of households, we're starting to witness just over the last two or three years now. I, our view materializing. It's helping to push up inflation by unwinding some of the the previous drivers of low inflation. Central banks are no, were no, uh, or rather, we're not as obsessive about achieving their two percent inflation targets. Just a couple of years ago, the Fed went to Jackson Hole and proclaimed that they were going to have a different type of inflation targeting regime, an average inflation targeting regime, allowing inflation to um, sit above the inflation target and to help make up for times when it was sitting below. Um, And uh, central banks were being asked to sort of hit multiple targets simultaneously um, in helping to support growth along the way. Given all of the, the social pressures that we've seen bubbling up to the surface in recent years, the geopolitical tensions, the, the uh, PTSD around COVID and the desire for people to have more uh, stability and security in where they're sourcing their, their, their uh, high priority or strategic goods and, and resources, it seemed clear to us that things were changing and that this was building a base beneath inflation, unwinding the previous drivers of lower inflation.
0: So, so what does that mean for your portfolio? How are you allocating or looking to allocate because of that?
1: We've decided to, to try to prioritize a, a few implications. One is the end of low for long. And there we're looking for opportunities to build in some inflation protection some inflation hedges into our portfolios so we're undertaking an effort to increase our exposure in inflation-linked bonds uh, as well prioritizing and Uh, attaching real value to any infrastructure assets which have some natural inflation linkage to them. Um, Certainly there are certain equity sectors which correlate well with inflation. So we're, we're, we're looking at it holistically and looking for natural places where we're already investing, but maybe increasing or elevating the priority in which their inflation attributes could be imported into the portfolio. Um, I also believe that in this world of of higher inflation and higher interest rates as compared to the last decade, the cash as an allocation is also more important. It, It was a four letter word for decades in which allocators really didn't want to allocate anything to cash and uh, it was it was it was shunned as as an asset class I think uh, investors long-term investors in particular understand that one of the main implications of the new world is that liquidity has um, become a much more important important element of portfolio management. It has been the case again for decades that super low interest rates and rounds of quantitative easing were ensuring that there was plenty of liquidity everywhere for everyone at all times. And as we've seen just through basically one year of rate hikes and, and a little bit of quantitative tightening, that's no longer the case. US regional banks are finding liquidity an issue. Some large European banks have found out in the past month that there could be liquidity issues. And certainly UK pension funds um, realized the importance of liquidity uh, just a few months ago. I think that is a situation, these are all situations which really probably weren't going to be major issues in the past, but in the new paradigm and the new regime, uh, liquidity is of prime importance. You need to be able to survive today in order to fight tomorrow, and uh, liquidity management is critical in, in the new world.
0: Yeah, we could do a whole conversation around that, I'm sure. Um, it, so. Connected to rising inflation and this less accommodative monetary policy is, of course, volatility in markets. And then that lends itself to be a good environment for active management and not just in stock selection, but also portfolio rebalancing, currency hedging, all of those active management strategies. So what does active management look like at IMCO? What are you implementing?
1: So certainly to To bring it back to to portfolio management, uh, higher market volatility means increased priority for liquidity. Um, Greater dispersion that accompanies that higher market volatility certainly improves the odds for active investment approaches to perform better in comparison to the difficult environment that they faced over the last few years, over the last couple of decades when dispersion within markets was was very tight. Um, and so for us, the way we're approaching it is ensuring that asset classes, our our asset class teams, whether it's equities or, or fixed income, infrastructure or private equity, um, and credit, we're we're ensuring that we have the flexibility to go everywhere at any time and seek out the best opportunities. Um, They may not always be in the typical places. And that's where the dispersion, the advantages of dispersion can be used greatest by, by investors for the most gain is, well, maybe if it's not high yield bonds that look particularly attractive on a risk reward basis, maybe it's leveraged loans or floating rate debt there really is a much broader universe of assets and markets within asset classes than than there has been at any time in the past, certainly, and, and certainly even just from five or 10 years ago. There is such a, a large, broad universe within all of the, the typical asset classes, that ensuring that you have the flexibility to be able to pivot and seek out the best opportunities with the best Reward to risk tradeoff um, is is uh, one of the important ways in which we're implementing for this new regime.
0: So, active management environment, but on the other hand, we've seen this rise of rise of indexation, rise of passive, as you know, large asset owners increase their allocation to private assets, and then sort of go more pa- passive on their public exposures, at least in the last few years. So what what are your views here? I mean, with, there's been a, a, a real trend towards customized benchmarks and there are now more benchmarks than there are stocks. Are we overcomplicating things? Are benchmarks becoming irrelevant in a way? Should we be more benchmark unaware and look at absolute results? What, what's your view uh, uh, of benchmarks and and the sort of rise of indexation, especially in an environment where active management um, is uh, has the potential to add value.
1: I think benchmarks have a very important role to play in that they help to ensure that that the investors' overall priorities are adhered to, and that when when you're making allocations into asset classes or, or even geographies or sectors, that there is some guiding light that reflects the, the investor's um, return targets and, and risk tolerance. So benchmarks have a very important part to play. Insofar as that there's been customization of benchmarks that in many cases reflects um, Investors' desire to see maybe ESG principles applied to their investments. So, I think they play a very important role. I think one thing that people should be aware of and and uh, guard against is the fact that many indices, a maybe, were not developed with with uh, with your specific uh, needs. So. Uh, there there are uh, some common pitfalls with passive investing that, that investors need to be aware of. The first is concentration risk. Investing in an index, obviously market cap weighted indices, will lead you in many instances in different points in time, as we've seen, to high degrees of concentration in just a few stocks or, or bond issuers, depending if you're looking at equities or fixed income and result in probably a, a very high degree of concentration that you as an investor never intended on the the other risk with regards to to indexes is a point that i just made earlier is if you're taking a big broad public market index in many cases it doesn't reflect investors esg investment beliefs or principles and so there really needs to be a thoughtful approach to how investors approach um, indexes and and path in their slice of their portfolio that they might do in passive investing. And uh, passive investing also doesn't allow you to maybe make some informed decisions with regards to um, regime shifts or or, uh, growing market risks. So, uh, investors really need to be careful. And lastly, in a regime as we expect that will continue to, to move through a regime of high market volatility and wide dispersion, um, it, you're, you're leaving on the table the, the growing opportunities for active management to outperform.
0: So in the paper, and you mentioned um, earlier in the discussion that you also talk about disruptive technologies and how te- technological disruption and innovation will will continue to shape investment opportunities and value creation. So I'm interested in your views on um, how that plays out in the way you're allocating, but also I think importantly for asset owners, how internally they need to embrace technology in their practices and this idea of becoming a technologized investor, um, which is a bit of a mouthful, but really embracing that not just in where you're investing and how and, and how you're allocating, but, but the internal practices and, and tools that you use. Can you comment on that?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I think, of course, technology moves through different phases and the innovation that brings about a new technology, it can take quite a while before maybe it becomes more commercially viable and then eventually a, a mainstream business and really be a driver for change across industries. And, and we believe we've gotten into that phase with regards to a number of the, the businesses that were born out of the tech boom of, of the 1990s. And certainly many of those companies have grown on to be, Behemoths, and, and um, of course, we see that with the fangs and uh, the lofty position that that they sit in within stock market indices and the like. Um, but where we're looking for opportunities within that is where there's an intersection between the the technology and some of the the larger, longer-term trends that we've identified, including climate change. And so we're actually looking at what's termed as clean tech or or energy tech, areas where technology is an enabler of some of the important investment trends uh, that that we're focused on. And so energy transition is is one particular area where we're focused on, and of course that's very technology heavy. And with regards to technology and how asset managers might use technology to to improve what they do, certainly uh, there's lots of uh, examples within the operations and the back office and finance and and within the, the, the investment uh, processes but one way we at imco are focused on on technology and and how that can improve things is, is we're just we're just generally focused on innovation we think that a culture in which we're we're looking for attractive investment strategies or or trends or um, approaches that we shouldn't be afraid to go outside the box, that we should be innovators, that we should look at things in a way that allows us to uh, really focus in on the value of various investments without being overly um prescriptive with regards to maybe which asset class do different investments lie in um, to be nimble and to have a flexible approach to assessing investments and various capital structures and really looking at innovation as not only an area to invest in but looking at it as a way for us to to be better investors
0: so there's there's a lot going on for investors right now. We've we've talked a, a little bit about some of them, um, but you know there's geopolitical risk, climate risk, inflation, volatility, and it all it all points to investors having to challenge their assumptions and and the way that things have been done in the past, and to be more thoughtful. and you And you mentioned your research driven approach. Can you can you talk more about how this thought leadership and and kind of research approach? Is translating to decision making within IMCO, so not just as a uh, an academic exercise, and how you're sharing information, making decisions, and how that might evolve. Where you want to get to on that?
1: Sure. So, I think it's it's occurring on on multiple fronts. Um, again, our our worldview was meant to outline. Uh, the key investment trends that we believe will come to define um, broad, long-term investment trends and returns uh, over the coming decade. The way that we approached it was, yes, you know, the economists and the strategists and um, and, uh, and our external partners, we got into a very broad discussion and then we started to rope in the portfolio managers and both on the public and the private side and across our total portfolio management team. What we found was that there was a number of commonalities across um, what each of these teams and, and specialists were observing And So what we found was we were able to organically create a very focused but nonetheless a consensus view around um, what are the right trends to focus on and and what are their implications. Um, And it really was a cross-organization effort. The decision-making process is one of the things we focused on for our five-year strategic plan, uh, we've identified having a nimble and empowered culture as critical to enabling us to respond to investment opportunities efficiently and make differentiated calls.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing how that evolves, Nick, and, and um, the research-driven approach certainly is um, faring well at this point in time in the global economy it's been a pleasure to speak with you thank you very much for your time and look forward to seeing how imco evolves
1: it was a real pleasure thank you